0: This is Michelle. Welcome to another episode of Orange Juice Optional, and I am so happy to be chatting with Suzanne today and also with her daughter, Katie. She is making a return appearance, so yay. Uh, I'm so happy. I know. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to talk about today's topic. Me too. Yes. (laughs) I think we're all just like chomping at the bit to, to get our two cents and worth about the interview. Yeah. And I think that's all you have to say. I think everyone in the world knows what we're talking about when we say the interview. Okay. But maybe we should put it out there for those listeners who may not know what we're talking about.
1: Who are living under a rock.
0: Yes. Or out in the desert.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or on an island somewhere without TV. Yes.
1: Exactly.
0: So we are talking, of course, about the interview with Oprah Winfrey and Prince Harry and Megan Markle. I I can never say her last name right. Really? Yeah. And then I was like, is she Princess Megan, Duchess Megan? Oh, no. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like so confused (laughs) now as I know they stepped away. Right. But it's
1: confusing. Right. Well, and I don't think she had, oh, maybe she was a duchess before they stepped away.
0: Were they the Duke and uh, Duchess of Sussex? Yep. Yep. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she was a duchess. So I don't even know if she's a duchess now. No, I think they they, don't just take that away. Right. Or
1: do you No, you do? Because he also lost all of his military. What are they called titles? Oh, yeah. My gosh, that is a huge blow. I know. That being said, you can't really have it both ways. You can't. It's like quitting a job. You can't quit a job and then keep your title from that job.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) But you can still have the education you brought into that job there. I mean, those were still accomplishments, right? True. Good point. But I'm not sure how they look at everything there. But I'm just thinking that interview was kind of explosive. Kind of. (laughs) Well, more than kind of. But I always use the word kind of. I try to...
1: (laughs) Yeah, just cushion that a little bit. Yeah.
0: I I like to cushion things. I
1: mean, okay. And here's how I felt. I don't know if Well, Michelle, you and I watched the wedding together. Katie, I know you watched the wedding. And at their wedding, the minister was giving his message how the cameras panned to certain members of the royal family and their jaws were on the floor because they were so shocked by the unorthodox method of his preaching. That's how I felt in this interview. I felt like my jaw was on the floor the entire time. I mean, I thought it was a fascinating interview. I agree. What do you think, Michelle?
0: Again, I'm a little bit speechless because I remember watching the interview and just having this pit in my stomach and just waiting for the next shoe to drop. And it was very interesting, but a little uncomfortable to listen to, especially when you are such a supporter of the royal family and everything royal.
1: I agree. And more than one shoe dropped. I mean yeah, a whole closet. <laughs> things just kept falling. And I'm like, holy cow. But let's let's talk about our background of interest with the royal family because I have a long, long history of interest in the royal family. What about you, Michelle?
0: I do also. It's always been a part of my life for the almost 50 years now because my grandma was hundred percent British. She was raised there and only came to the States when she married my grandpa. And so that was her upbringing. That was her way of life and all that she knew. So from that aspect, it was always a part. I don't even remember a lot about that, just that it was there. My first recollection is when Prince William was born, though, and them stepping out with him and knowing that another heir was there. I remember that very well. I was about 10, I think. Wow.
1: Because I think that's where the age differences are really apparent. Katie, what about you? What's your first your first memory of really being interested in the royal family?
2: I think it's when Princess Diana died. I don't know how old I was at the time, but I remember your reaction. Mm -hmm. And I think you started crying. Oh, I think I did. Well, no, I don't think I did. No. Well, Julie, my aunt, Julie and Jane came over for the funeral. Oh, that's right. And Grandma Colleen. And Grandma Colleen came over. And I remember and I do vividly remember all of you sobbing during the funeral and it was it was, I mean I I don't how old was I then well it was I think it
1: was 1997 or 98 when she died
0: it definitely was 97 because my son Colton had just been born and his schedule was turned around and so I was up at night because I was the only one in the world up at night with this crying baby watching coverage of it all so it was definitely 1997.
1: I agree. It was actually the same year my dad died. My dad died in December of that year. So I should have known that.
2: So I was 11 or 12, but I didn't realize the, I mean, I didn't understand really the gravity of, you know, her passing away, but that's my first memory of Diana. And I just remember seeing all of you so upset So that was kind of my introduction to the royals. And I've been interested ever since, to be honest.
0: That was such a devastating situation, but was as they were bringing her casket and her boys and her brother and Prince Philip, too, and Charles were all walking behind it. And there was that bouquet of flowers that said, "Mummy," And looking at those boys had me sobbing then and almost now thinking about it.
1: And it's interesting to me because my memories go back to when Princess Diana was first introduced to the family. And she was this 19-year-old preschool teacher. And there was a photograph of her holding a child from the preschool she worked at. And she wasn't wearing a slip under her skirt. And so you could see through her skirt in this photograph. And it was one of those worldwide scandalous photos that was plastered all over magazines and newspapers. And it was like this huge thing. And she was 19 at the time. And so then everyone, and then there was that Diana frenzy where the photographers just followed her relentlessly. And then there was the wedding. And I remember we were in uh, Michigan for our fam, our annual family reunion at Lake Michigan. And the wedding was at like four in the morning, Michigan time. And my cousins who were around my age and I all got up and went over to the neighbor's house because she had invited us to come over to watch the wedding on this TV. And the screen on the TV was probably like a 12 inch screen. <laughs> and so we were all on her sofa, watching this tiny little screen, so we could see the wedding live. And I must have been about 18. Because that was, I think that was 1981. So yeah, I think they got married in 81.
0: I think you're right. Anyway,
1: so that was my start of my, I could say my interest or my fascination, I could even go so far as to say my obsession with the royal
0: family. And I'm a little bit obsessed too. Any information, any biographies or uh, shows that just really jump into the history, it fascinates me. And looking back, because we have been aware of them so long, and you can find a lot of this in the crown too, but look at how the royal family has changed so much just in the last hundred
1: years. Oh, I know. Well, and um, of course, because you know I'm a book lover, I have to do a shout out to Sally Bedell Smith's book it's called Elizabeth the Queen and it's a it's a comprehensive book about her life and how she became queen and it kind of alternates between the political side of her position and her her personal life as a queen it is such a well done biography and i i was told at one point that the Series The Crown was based on her book. I don't know if that's true, but I originally heard that that series was based on her book. And but it's definitely worth the read. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Hmm, okay, Katie, that's it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Katie. Yeah. Oh, great mom. Thanks. <laughs> that
0: was not what I was thinking. <laughs> She was just thinking, where do I want to buy a copy of that book? That's what she was thinking. I'll send you
1: a copy. I won't give you my copy, although I think I have both the hardback copy and the paper copy, the paper book copy. Of course, you do. Because I love that book so much. So, anyway, back to present day. Don't you think we should discuss the interview?
0: Before jumping into the interview, I'd like to ask Katie what her thoughts are on Megan kind of as a contemporary woman. Also, I mean, she's just a little bit older than you, like um, nine years, eight years, something like that. How have you viewed Megan from the time she stepped into the spotlight?
2: Good question. That's a really good question. I've gone back and forth with her. I mean, I like that she's a intelligent, well-spoken woman and she's all for women's rights. I... I like that part about there's something about her. And I, I told my mom this after I watched the interview, there's something about her that bothers me, but I can't put my finger on it. But I mean, I, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but I like the, what she stands for. You know, I like that she's not a wet blanket, so to speak. I I don't know. I, my thoughts, I go back and forth, but the interview Well, I I won't go into that yet, but I went in with a certain idea because I spoke to my mom and she had a very strong opinion, but I came out of it having more respect for her. And I know, I mean, it was a polarizing interview, but I actually like her now more than I did before the interview, surprisingly. Hmm, that Um, That
1: is very interesting.
2: Yeah. So to answer your question, I've gone back and forth, but I like what she stands for. I mean, I like Kate Middleton, too, but they're just totally different. They are totally different women, and they're in totally different
1: positions within the royal family because Kate Middleton is married to a future king, which I think just in general puts her in a different position. Right. What about you, Michelle?
0: I really liked her the first time I saw her because Harry looks so happy. And again, with him, it always goes back to what he lost for me that that mother in his life and uh, the bonds that he had to form with his dad and his brother and the king and queen, his his surrounding family had to be so connected. And he just seemed a little lost for a while. And so when he met her, there just was this protective nature about him that came out and a supportive nature. And he seemed very happy. And so I liked her for that. And I was so excited to watch the wedding. As you said, we watched it together and Suzanne, I just have to interject. You made me feel like a princess there.
1: (laughs) I will. I did have tiaras for both of us and,
0: and princess tiaras and slippers, princess slippers, a book on the Royal wedding. (laughs) And then you made Giada's lemon cookies. Which... Lemon
1: <laughs> lemon ricotta cookies, which, yeah. yes. Yes, mm. yes.
0: So you made me feel like a princess. But it was very fun to watch that wedding and everything. And I think during the wedding, our biggest question was, what is her dress going to look like? And you were pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: was. I nailed it. I'm just going to say I predicted it almost to a T what it was going to look like.
0: Yes. And so I always hoped for the best and was really optimistic. But then started seeing a few cracks maybe in what was being presented. So I was anxious to hear the interview to see which direction it went. How about you, Suzanne? What were your thoughts of Megan right off the bat?
1: I really liked Megan in the beginning. The interview they did when they became engaged, I was so impressed with how well-spoken she is. And I was like, wow, she is, yeah, a very independent woman. And I was actually very happy for Harry too. I really felt like there is is a true romance. I think they are deeply in love. So I really did like her. But back to what Katie was saying, she feels like a hard person for me to trust. And maybe that's because she's an actress. And so when she's speaking in public, is she putting on her acting hat? you know, am I seeing an actor, which there's nothing wrong with that, because that's what she does. That's what she does for a living. And she's very good at it. So when I listen to her in an interview, I see an actress, I'm not sure I'm necessarily getting the real Meghan Markle. But do I have the right to see the real Meghan Markle? No, I don't know her. So she has the right to be an actress. And I, I have a, a sense of distrust because she's an actress, which is probably unfair of me.
2: So it's just a preconceived notion based solely on her profession. It's not anything to do with... Yes, that's exactly
1: right. And I emphasize that she is so well-spoken in an interview that it's hard not to be impressed with her.
0: Right, but she guards her personal life and all of those details because what she usually would speak about... Are her charities and her her work along those lines? So she hasn't really let it slip to let us see the real her. So I get that she she puts on that exterior protection, I guess.
1: Well, and maybe that is why this interview was so jaw dropping because I think we went from her being extremely private about her personal life to all of a sudden <laughs> opening the doors and letting us all in. And I'm like, wow.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Were we ready for that? Were we ready for
1: that? That glimpse? Yeah. And to Oprah's credit, it's like she asked the best questions in the most direct way. So it would have been very hard for them not to answer them honestly and sincerely. Well, and it's Oprah, though. It is Oprah.
2: Could anybody else have done that interview? I, I feel like it was a match made in heaven.
1: Right. And I agree with you. In this generation, I think Oprah ultimately is the only person that could have given that great of an interview. Um, Previous generations, I would say maybe Barbara Walters, but I think Oprah outshines Barbara Walters even in her interview skills.
0: So, what were your first impressions? As you know, we're all settling into our own homes with a glass of wine or something to watch the interview. What were the first impressions that came to your mind right from the beginning?
2: Let's start with Katie. Katie, what were your first impressions? So, I put the interview on my DVR, and it did not record. Oh. Um, so I—that's well, frustrating. Uh, yeah, so I had ideas about the interview going in just because I had spoken to my mom. And at that point, I talked to my mother-in-law. It was all over the internet. That's all anybody was talking about. So I had an idea going in what the juice was going to be. And I saw it the next morning on demand. And even knowing everything that I was told, it was still shocking to me just to hear... For example, her and, you know, we don't have to get too much into it, but her discussing that she was suicidal. I mean, that's a very intense thing to admit, you know, to millions of people. So, yeah, I mean, even though I knew what to expect, it was jarring, I think.
1: Perfect word. Yes, I agree. Michelle, what were
0: your thoughts? Well, my very first thought when I saw her is she's much more pregnant than I expected her to be. (laughs) So I didn't realize she was so far along. I guess that was my first thought. Second thought is she looked beautiful. Then it just continued surprising me from there. I think the first thing I was surprised about is, well, gosh, I don't even (laughs) remember what order it came in. But she did say that her and Harry married three days or two days before the actual ceremony. I'm happy they had that moment. And then she said something that really shocked me. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it was. I should go back and look at the text messages I was sending you, Suzanne, as to (laughs) what that first thing was. And I'm like, what?
1: (laughs) Well, wasn't it that Kate Middleton made her cry?
0: Oh, yeah. That that was the first thing. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, weddings are really tough and there's a lot of stress. But The British press should probably get over getting upset about
1: (laughs) (laughs) bridesmaids' dresses. A
0: flower girl's dress, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think about that? Or what was your first impression, Suzanne?
1: I think that's exactly it. Although I was thinking the same thing. It's like when she was admitting that it was actually Kate Middleton that made her cry, and she didn't make Kate Middleton cry. I'm thinking, are we blowing this a little bit out of proportion because doesn't everyone cry at some point at a wedding, either because you're upset or you're emotional? And I'm thinking, yeah, who cares? And she went on to say that whatever the whatever the cause of the comments were, Kate Middleton owned up to him, Sarah Flowers apologized, which I think in any family is what would happen. I think Yeah, someone's going to say something that upsets you. If it makes you cry, that person's down the road. is going to own up to it and apologize. So yeah, I felt like that was one of those shocking moments in
0: the interview. Did you feel that she threw Kate Middleton under the bus the way she put it?
1: Absolutely. I felt like she was Kate Middleton was thrown under the bus. And the reason for that is because Kate Middleton is not able to defend herself. And I feel like it's an unfair thing to do in a public setting like that, where millions of people are going to be watching it and there's no comeback.
2: But just playing devil's advocate, if she didn't call Kate out, it would have been the same. I mean, as it stood during the interview before Oprah asked her about it, it was reported that she made Kate cry. So I think she was just clearing the air. I mean, she was defending herself. Right. And I
1: guess that that's a good point, which leads to my question about the interview is why are they doing this interview to begin with? What is the purpose of this interview? And but I've said to both you, Katie, and to Michelle, when you kids were little, I always used to say, take pause and think about what good purpose does this serve? When With every action that you do, say, ask yourself, what good purpose does this serve? And I had to ask myself watching this interview, what good purpose did this serve for them? And maybe it is just to set the record straight and defend themselves.
0: What did you come up with
1: as? What good purpose did it serve? I don't think it served any good purpose.
0: Okay. So you couldn't find one? I couldn't find a good purpose.
1: Is defending yourself a good enough purpose to do that interview? In my opinion, no. I guess raising awareness about mental health, that would be a good purpose. To put yourself out there and admit something like that may help a lot of other people struggling with mental health. So there is a good purpose for having that interview. But the bombshells that they dropped I don't see any good purpose that it served. So you disagree,
2: Katie? (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. Put yourself in Megan's position. You know, you're recently married to Harry and you're a very public figure and the media has completely obliterated you and you're trying to get help. You know, based on what she said, she reached out for help, was denied mental help at the time because it didn't look good. I mean, you know, regardless of if it serves a purpose or not, she was defending her name. She was defending herself. I mean, if I put myself in that position, I can't see myself just laying back and have people trash me all the time. Again, I don't know if that serves a purpose. You know, maybe it's, you know, just for her own, for herself. But I th- I think it's fair that she went public and cleared some of these things up.
0: And it feels almost like they were laying in wait a bit. And I don't know if it was just because they wanted to wait and announce that they weren't coming back before putting all this out there when the crown or the firm or the institution, I mean, choose choose the words you want to put in there. If they were just waiting to sever that final tie, so, there were no repercussions. you think maybe that's why they waited so long because they've been relatively quiet for a year. I mean, I haven't heard much about them or even seen much social media on them
1: true of course we're we're coming off of a year of covid as well
2: right true and we're in America too. I don't know what you know if there's more coverage on them I mean I'm assuming there is just in the u k but so I
1: agree with what you say, that she has the right to come out and defend herself against everything. You know, she's felt persecuted by the media for as long as she's been in the royal family's life. She's felt persecuted. So, yeah, she does have a right to come out and defend herself. And I agree with that. But what I don't agree with is bashing the institution and bashing the royal family for her cause. For her cause of defending herself. Okay, so yeah, you can defend what you have been persecuted over, but to bash the royal family that is so highly regarded by so many millions of people, I think is a little over the top. What do you think, Michelle?
0: Wow. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, I would agree. Again, as the interview started, to hear her talk, I guess right from the beginning of that interview, it put me a little bit on guard, like this is something that we haven't seen before, only because she is such a well spoken woman. She is an advocate for so many progressive things and looking forward to the future and being a strong woman and everything. And for her to be there and to say that she had no idea, right? Good that point. that's really hard for me to swallow because again you know where to find the information and why the Royal family might not have been a part of your childhood. You heard about it. You have seen movies about like Roman holiday where the princess gets away for just one day. So you have to know there's going to be a change. You have to know. I'm sure that was explained to them, especially after everything that happened with Diana. She had to have that conversation with Harry. She had to have that conversation you know, with people there just saying it's going to change. My thought though is, did she think that, okay, I'm going to play this game and go into it and surrender my passport, my ID and everything, but then I'm just going to be me and they're just going to accept it. Did she think it was going to be that easy of a transition?
2: I think she did. I think, and she admitted this in the interview that she was naive at the time. And I, I do think she kind of, thought that she could have the best of both worlds when in reality I mean if you're going to be royalty there there are some drawbacks to it well and the fatal
1: mistake you make in any marriage is if you're going into a marriage hoping you're going to change the person you're marrying and i felt like for her to say that she had no idea going into this how different it was going to be and she had It's like, okay, did she go into it thinking, I'm going to change this institution? I'm single-handedly going to come in and change this entire institution that's gone on for centuries because I'm a strong and independent woman. So I don't really need to worry about what I have to face entering this royal family. I mean, so in my mind, there's a level of arrogance there that says... You know, and she didn't say that in the interview. This is something that I'm speculating about. It's the angle that I kind of took off of it.
0: Yeah, that's what I think I was kind of trying to to get at also is just that forward projection of, oh, okay, well, I'll play their game right now, but it's going to be all different when I get in. And I'm going to change things. Yeah. And she did bring a lot of openings for potential change or growth. So she did have that to offer, but it wasn't as easy as she thought. I guess. So like.
1: Right. And back to what you were originally saying, Michelle, is that sense that she, well, she flat out said she had no clue. She was just in love and she wanted to marry the man she loved. It's like, come on, give me Right. It's a not break. the hallmark.
0: It's not the hallmark <laughs> yeah. version of yeah. Uh, life.
1: Yeah. And if she had done any research at all, she could have just gone to Harry's mother who was killed trying to survive in that environment. And she's saying she went in blindly thinking that she wouldn't have to adapt. It's like, give me a break. Yeah, you're so full of it. You know, she had to have known.
0: And I agree with that. I I think she knew more than she let on in that interview. I I would agree with that. I felt that way watching it.
1: Well, and If you have it in front of you, Michelle, I think this is a good time to read what the Queen's response was to the interview because I think it goes back to this a little bit.
0: Do you have that in front of you? Yes, I do. The response that was given by the Queen or the palace is the whole family is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan, particularly that of race are concerning. While some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I personally thought that response was perfection. It's like they acknowledge that they didn't recognize how deep the challenges went for Harry and Meghan. So they are admitting some fault in what has happened, but they're also saying, okay, but you're hearing one perspective. You're hearing one side of the story and recollections vary from person to person. So the other people in the Royal family who don't get a chance to respond because they're still in the Royal family um, don't really have a chance to say, well, this is how I remember it.
0: Right. And if you remember back to the time when princess Diana passed away, The royal family fell under attack then, and the queen came on and shared very beautiful words about where they were in the whole thing, trying to unify again the country in the passing of Princess Diana. You have to think that they learned something in that process, so they would not let anybody go into it blindly. They would not let Kate go into it blindly. They would not let Meghan go into it blindly. But I guess... The idea of it and the reality of it are two separate things. And so that's where the disconnect might have been. Mm -hmm. But I think
1: they're exactly right when they say they have to deal with this privately. These are private family issues and similar issues. I suspect that every family to some degree has to deal with privately. The fact that Harry and Meghan decided to make it so public I think is very hurtful. I don't see how there's any good that can come of that. I think it just drives the wedge deeper into the rift (laughs) that's been created.
0: Right. How do you even begin to mend something like that as a family unit? Because while we all know it was happening, we all knew there was distance between Prince Harry and Prince William. I didn't guess, expect to hear it between Harry and Charles, but that shocked me a little bit. But with that distance already there and knowing you had work to do, this interview is not going to help.
1: Not at all. And Harry's comment when he said, you know, I had a couple of conversations with my father until he quit taking my calls. And I was like, that's a direct shot. Yeah, I was (laughs) like, ouch. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that was painful to hear. And that, to me, is like, okay, well, if you're going to do an interview like this, can we do it maturely and respectfully? Do we really have to
2: throw the jabs? You don't think they were respectful? I mean, they definitely teetered on a line, but I don't know. I just, I, and and part of it, I think is, you know, clearly, like I said before, this interview is so polarizing, but again, playing devil's advocate, I just feel like, there's so much and this this extends to both sides there's so much that we don't know so it's hard everybody can form their own opinion based on the information they have but there's so there's so much behind the scenes that you know and i appreciate the institution and the monarchy probably not to the degree that you and michelle do just because i don't
0: have the same history Yeah, I would have to agree with Katie on this point, only in the fact that they said this was a tell-all, that no questions were off-limit, and I think they answered the questions as respectfully as they could with the topic, but something should just not be said.
2: Yeah, I was going to say something along those lines. You know, going back to this stuff with Prince Andrew and his controversies with Epstein um, and even stuff with Diana, Princess Diana in the past. I think it's clear that the royals, their hands aren't clean. They have skeletons in the closet and there's a level of corruption. I don't know if corruption's the right word, but there is some, their hands aren't clean. And we don't know to the extent that Harry and Meghan were victimized. You, do you see what I'm saying?
1: I see exactly what you're saying. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot that goes on behind closed doors that they work very hard to keep hidden from the public. So, to have an interview like this, and Michelle, you make a good point too that, yeah, there were no questions off limits. They agreed to that. And Oprah brilliantly asked every question that I think the public wanted answers to. How they chose to answer those questions, in my mind, I found. Yeah. And I think it goes back to putting it in our own shoes. It's like looking at our own families and saying, okay, if someone asked me that question publicly, how would I have answered it? Would I have thrown someone under the bus? Would I have opened those doors? Would I bring those skeletons out of the closet? I don't know that I would. That's where I find it disrespectful because the rest of the royal family who have remained royal, are not going to be able to
2: comment. You know, they give one comment from the palace and that's it. But going back to what Michelle said, I mean, that really was such a great point. Going in, the deal was there are no questions off limits. They were honest. I mean, you can't really have it both ways. You know, most interviews, whether it's with, you know, a politician or a celebrity, you go in with a set of guidelines, you know, don't go here, don't go here. And they made the decision. No questions are off topic. So I think conversely to what you said, that was the deal they made. Should they have gone into it that way? But you, I have a certain level of respect for them for at least being honest, you know, and I think I kind of, you know, weeks ago when I saw advertisements for this interview Honestly, I didn't think much of it just because I thought it was going to be rose-colored, whitewashed. I mean, most everything is so censored now. I didn't think there was going to be anything of substance, to be honest. And that was not this.
0: Good point. What are your thoughts, Michelle? I think that's a wonderful point. I mean, even in this podcast earlier, I was using words like kind of trying to soften the blow and there was none of that there. That was just, you asked me this question, I'm going to give you an answer. And it's hard to hear those answers as people who haven't been lis- or living that day-to-day reality and, you know, things that we didn't know that are so shocking. Again, I'm losing my train of thought here. I did have <laughs> a point.
1: <laughs> no, I think you made your, I do. I think you made your point very well. I think, though, that I am leaning more towards my loyalty to the royal family, my blind loyalty to the royal family, my love for the royal family, where, Katie, I feel like you are leaning more towards your respect for Harry and Meghan, which I agree with as well. But yeah, I guess I'm not ready to let go of any of my deep, passionate, love of my image of the royal family. Let's say that my image of the royal family.
0: And I would have to agree my natural instinct and where I lean is more towards the royal family and the fact that a year after the fact, I understand wanting to clear your name. I understand what they were wanting. Well, I don't understand exactly what they were trying to do. But they wanted to get their side of the story out there and and tell where they're coming from because they did just make this huge change that will go down in history. But if you look at the royal family, if you look at the institution of the crown, it's freaking endured. It has gone through scandals. It has gone through changing times and it endures because while it's not adapting maybe as quickly as some people would like, it is still adapting and moving forward and trying. As a queen, that would be hard. You have your job. And I saw somewhere that they said that the Netflix show, The Crown, was appropriately named because it really was about Queen Elizabeth giving her life to the people. And so to find that balance. And then this interview comes out and it feels like a direct shot and just a bad stroke of timing. Prince Philip's in the hospital with issues. And I mean, there's already that stress they're going about. Now there's this interview. So I know I'm just kind of rambling, but well, no, my mind is kind of all over the place. <laughs> I know. And I think,
1: I think my mind is kind of, I, I don't think you were rambling at all because my mind is going all over the place too. And Katie, I didn't mean to interrupt. What were you going to say?
2: No, mine is too. And there are so many layers to this topic. And I yes. think why I lost my train of thought because there are, there are so many layers and It's not just about Meghan and Harry. It's not just about the Royals. There's just so many other things at play. And, you know, for me, I can't I can't fairly look at it. The stuff with Prince Andrew really put a bad taste in my mouth. It just did. Because if you watch the interview with him, that whole situation was so sketchy to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd agree. yeah. Yeah. So that that situation kind of put red flags up in my mind. And so going into this interview with Megan and Harry, I'm like, it it just kind of went along with that narrative of, you know, we push things under the rug. So I didn't, I didn't have as much empathy for them or for the Royals. I just, I, I kind of, you know, and this is a time we're living in a time of reckoning for so many people want to hold and, You know, going back to what you said, Michelle, why asked why now? I think it's because this is the time that everybody is just wants to hold everybody accountable. And there are pluses and minuses to that. To your point
1: though, we're definitely in a time where we want everyone wants to hold people accountable for their actions. But my question would then be, to what degree do we do that? You know, and is it acceptable? when we're doing it in spite of who we're hurting and how badly we're hurting them. At some point, you still have to have some level of compassion for the people you're calling out. And maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have to have compassion. Maybe maybe that's just a rule I have in my head and that compassion um, does not overrule you know, acknowledgement of behavior or reckoning of behavior.
2: I agree with that. I mean, I think that's one of my biggest issues with, you know, quote unquote cancel culture. Everybody has a past, everybody has done things that they aren't proud of. And, you know, that's frustrating. But, you know, at the same time, when it's applying it to the monarchs, this is an institution that has a history. Even, you know, look at Diana. I mean, she was clearly tormented. You know, that might be a strong word, but no, I don't think it was. She was in a lot of pain and it was, you know, it was resulting from the institution that she was a part of. So I I see both sides because I do think I can't remember if you brought this up, Michelle, or my mom did, but I do think that Megan went in thinking she was going to change things and it's just not that simple.
0: Right. And I think, Katie, you used the perfect word a little bit ago to describe the situation. You described it as being layers. And there are so many layers there and so many layers that we can't even comprehend from where we sit day to day. But my heart just hurts for the family. Take out the institution, take out the crown, but those rifts. And I mean, that's where my attention goes. So I would love to see... That healed in some point, but can you do it independently without the the larger crown in there? I don't know. I just feel so sad for everybody involved.
1: Right. And again, so then I go back to my original question: what good purpose does it serve? You know, you do an interview like that for sensationalism, for awareness of certain topics, but to what degree is it acceptable to do that when What you're doing is, I don't care if it's the Queen of England or it's Joe Blow next door, when you're using them to further your cause, it's not serving good any good purpose when you're throwing people under the bus, whether it's the guy next door or it's the Queen of England. And and okay, so going back to what we were talking about earlier, that yeah, we went into this interview knowing that there were no questions off limits. But didn't they have the right to say, and Harry did at one point say, you're never going to get that answer out of me. I'm never going to answer that question. And that was about who made the comments about um, the color of the skin. But they had the right to answer that question any way they saw fit. And the fact that they answered every single question the way they did, at some point, you would think they would have paused and answered those questions without by saying, well, I am uncomfortable answering that question.
2: Well, give an example, because I don't, I disagree. What, what could they have done? I mean, the question that Oprah asked, I I don't even know if she asked it. Well, no, she did. You're right. There was a point where he said, I'm not comfortable answering that question. That was a very, whatever the question was, I don't remember what it was, but it was. Who was it? It was a two-part question. The question
1: was, who was it in your family that you had that conversation okay. with? So
2: that that's a very pointed question. I mean, you have to to answer that. You have to literally call somebody out. That was my dad. That was my brother. That was Kate. I don't you know, with the exception of when Megan said that it was actually Kate that made her cry, which, it, you know, sounds like it's the truth. They didn't call anybody out directly directly. I mean, I didn't take it that way. I mean, I know there were little jabs here and there, but I don't see what you're seeing or what you saw in terms of calling people out. I I don't think they called people out like you feel like they did. Well, and you could be right. They did
1: refer to the institution a lot more than they referred to direct members of the family.
2: And they were very kind to the queen and very respectful to the queen. Well, I think, yeah. I think they would have been fools
1: not to be, frankly. You know, I think <laughs> I think when you're, when as the queen, you're the head of that institution and such a beloved, probably the most beloved member of the royal family. Yeah, I think you would be a fool to say anything negative about the queen. And I think they're smart enough to know that and to go one step further and actually say, this is not about the queen. This is not... You know, none of this is directed at the Queen or at Prince Philip. You know, you can only hope they're going to say that. But yeah, I kind of felt like the unsaid comment was, you know who you are. You know, we're talking about you. That's kind of was my
0: sense. Which that does make sense. And I guess just thinking about it, because I know we probably have to wrap up, although I could talk about this for hours. Maybe this was just what Harry and Meghan needed at this time to move forward with their own family. They're expecting that second baby. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't, it just, maybe that's the last piece of the puzzle that they needed in order to move forward with their lives together and then start rebuilding everything. I don't know. I'd like to think there was some purpose to get it all out there, say it and then start rebuilding. Right.
1: And it'll be interesting probably to see, well, Did this make it better or did this make it worse? I think there's going to be a lot of backlash. I think this is probably going to, to some degree, backfire for them. I think they're going to get a lot more attention instead of a lot less attention, at least in the short term. I would agree. Yeah. And we can speculate all day what good purpose this interview served. But yeah, I don't have a lot of sympathy for them at this point to say they needed this for them. It's like, well, okay, well, fine. You needed this for you. But yeah, you've just drawn the rest of the world into it.
0: Right. And family dynamics are so difficult on an everyday level. And then to add all those layers again on top of it, I I can't even imagine I would never have done an interview like that because I would have chosen to handle it privately, but my name's not being disparaged and comments being made about me and my kids. So Uh I don't know. I see everything from a lot of different perspectives. I know how I feel, but I also can empathize with how other people feel and might be approaching things.
2: Katie, do you have any final thoughts? I don't. I have a question though. When Diana had that interview. I think it was it with Diane Sawyer. No, was it was
1: here. Too... It was what's his name? Pierce Morgan, I believe.
2: No, 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 no. This is, you know, the infamous interview when she discussed her bulimia.
1: Right, um, right. I know the and I don't know who the interviewer was. I thought it was Pierce Morgan, but I I know the interview.
2: Well, what was that? Because I was too young at the time. How was that received by the public during that time? Because I kind of feel like And I told this to you, mom, I feel like Megan is definitely trying to and purposely trying to fill Diana's shoes, which she never will do, you know, but she's taking that path. And I'm just curious when that was aired, was it as polarizing as this interview? Yes, absolutely. So and time has has been very Kind to Diana? I mean, people look back, you know, are we going to look back on this interview, the people who, you know? Well,
1: okay. That being said, Diana was also killed in a horrific car accident shortly after that interview. So it wasn't so much the interview that we look back on her kindly. It's the tragic end to her life that makes us look back on her kindly. And makes us regret. And I know that Harry's purpose here is to keep history from repeating itself, you know, to where it builds to a point where something happens to Megan, you know, like that happened to his mom. But that interview that Diana gave was very polarizing, it was very explosive, it was shocking to the world. The difference was they played it once. And it was never seen again, because there was no social media, there was, there were no streaming channels, you know, you couldn't record it and come back and watch it again. You know, it was aired once, and then that was it. And then all you heard about it was through reports. So there's a huge difference there, because this interview can be replayed a million times. Her interview was played once. But it was as explosive, as polarizing easily as this one was.
0: And I just looked it up. That interview was actually with Martin Bashir. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I wouldn't have remembered that.
0: I was thinking about
2: that because, you know, regardless, and I know times have changed and, you know, social media changes the dynamic of everything. But I just wonder, you know, with time and, you know, more things come out, you know about the royal family. I just wonder if the ideas will shift. I mean, there. I, I do think people either your team, Megan, <laughs> Megan and Harry, or your team, the Royals. Although I kind of am in the middle. But regardless, I, I don't know. I just I'm curious how things are going to unfold moving forward.
0: And Katie, I think you made another really good point in the fact that Megan and what Harry is seeing very much so does parallel what his own mom went through and the consequences were what they were. And I think he's doing everything he can to be a supportive husband and to take everything so seriously. And that's what he should be doing. So I I just wanted to put that out there. I would have felt, bad afterwards. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, Oh, I meant to say that, but I didn't. So
2: I agree. And, and going back to, you know, we've been going around and round about what is the point? What is the purpose? Maybe that is their purpose. You know, they don't want to see a repeat of what happened to Diana. And, and she did die in a car crash, but ultimately it was a result of, of the paparazzi and the, her being followed.
1: And probably the lack of, yeah.
2: Walking away from the Royal family
1: and the lack of protection she had from the royal family right so and Michelle you're absolutely right we're we we used our time and
0: <laughs> I know I'm so sad because what a great having, topic what yeah, a great, a great conversation. conversation and it's always good to hear Katie's voice too and to have her part of the podcast so Katie, are you on board in a couple of weeks when we do the wedding episode? Oh
2: yes, I'm. I'm very excited about that episode. Yeah, and that one okay. won't be won't
1: have near the intensity that this conversation <laughs> had.
0: It, it won't, but it's got to happen soon because the wedding's only like two and a half months away. I it know
1: it's it's coming <laughs> fast. It's coming fast.
0: Well, thank you, Katie, for being our guest today. And we look forward to talking to you in like the next week or so. And Suzanne, always great to talk to you. Always great to have you too, Michelle. With all that shared. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Orange Juice Optional. What many of you wouldn't know is that this podcast has been a shared vision of ours for many years. And knowing what we know now.
1: I can't believe we've waited so long to make our vision a reality.
0: Right? I really think the hesitation on our part came from all the unknowns of podcasting. The biggest unknown being the toughest one. Where do we begin? That's when we found Podigy and Riley. And you know, if we had Godsend music, I'd cue it right now. Riley is a know-everything-about-podcasting kind of guy, and the best part for us was that he was so nice and down-to-earth about everything. And by everything, I mean he answered so many questions, he gave so much reassurance, and he offered advice on things we hadn't even considered. Initially, Podigy helped us choose our recording equipment, find our music, create our artwork, and set up our templates for recording. And seriously, how many Zoom calls did setting up the templates take? Probably too many to count because we are technology challenged. But the best part of each one of those calls was the reassuring voice on the other end. I love that about Potagy. Now that our podcast setup is complete and things are running a bit smoother, knock on wood, Podigy is going to edit each upcoming episode, do our show notes, and get our show out there for the listeners. Their help takes so much off our plate that all we really need to worry about is our friendship, next week's topic, and if it's an orange juice needed kind of day. So if you're interested in podcasting, please don't let the unknown stop you. Please check out Riley at podigy.co. That's P O D. I-G-Y dot C-O. They have packages available based on each show's individual needs. Thanks again, G. Our next toast is for you. Cheers. Cheers.